I'm Danny, that witch next door. And you're listening to That Witch Podcast. Welcome, welcome to the mystical, magical neighborhood. I'm Danny. I'm that witch next door. I'm your host, your guide, your instructor, and mentor in all things magic, witchcraft, astrology, and witchy business. I am loving this applicable astrology mini series. If this is the first time that you are joining us today, hi, welcome. So glad to see you. You should probably stop right now. (laughs) Just kidding. But seriously, you might want to go back a couple of episodes and start at the first applicable astrology episode so that you feel nice and caught up. Because today, my friends, we are really not wasting any time in this series. We have so much ground to cover before we can really start understanding how to actually integrate and implement and yes, apply all of this information. We got to get through the info first. So without further ado, today we are emerging. We are now entering the journey on the top hemisphere of the astrological wheel. You can go to thatwitchnextdoor.com slash resources right now and look at a copy of an astrological wheel that I found on the internet. Um, this, by the way, I couldn't find the maker of this. It was just the most, um, it was the most cohesive diagram I could find with the information I was personally looking for. There's all different kinds of diagrams of this style out there. So feel free to kind of look for one that resonates with you. But this I felt like was the best visual for our show and what we have been focusing on. So you can have that pulled up and let's do this. We are into the seventh house. Today's seven, eight, and ninth houses. So We talked a little bit about this, but what's the difference between the lower hemisphere, the lower half of the zodiac wheel and the top half? The the bottom portion, we really interpret and see these areas or stages of life as our internal experience and our internal world. This is very, very personal stuff. Everything from seventh house to 12th house on the top half of the wheel is very, very external, very outside of you, very out in the open. In fact, the bottom most point of the chart, the IC, is the most inward, private, hidden, if you will, part of yourself. Okay, hidden if you want it to be, but typically it's usually pretty deep in there. Um, And your MC or your midheaven is the top point of the chart. And that is the most external point of the chart. I always tell my clients, it's kind of like rising sign on high. It is very external. Okay, so we'll be getting there. But that is kind of the deal, kind of the difference. The whole lower half part of the journey, part of the experience is really a very, very personal journey. And when we step into the seventh house, the house of Libra, we really come out of ourselves. And 
the way that we see this is in partnerships. This is what the seventh house is all about. So seventh house, uh, Libra is here, like I already said. Libra is ruled by Venus. This is an air sign and this is a cardinal modality, okay? So we are initiating here. And I love this because I want you to think of this as initiating meaningful connections with people. The seventh house really, and even Libra in general, really, really, and Venus actually, all get really labeled with this straight up, purely romantic label and vibe. And honestly, it is so much more than that. Venus, Libra, and the seventh house in general is so much more than just our romantic relationships. And I'm not downplaying romantic relationships. I know that it's a very meaningful part of our lives for a lot of us. For many people, romance um, and love in our life and experiencing that is a high priority. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just don't want to be limiting. I don't want love and romance to be limiting our, you know, experience because there is so much more to experience here in this house with this energy. So that's why you will often hear astrologers astrologers refer to this house as the house of partnerships, partnerships of all kinds, okay? So um, this can be anywhere from a romantic partner, like I said, but even a, a business partner, okay? This is anybody that goes a little bit below or beneath, deeper than just the surface level kind of a deal, okay? In the third house, when we very first opened up for interaction with other people, this is like we talked about in that episode, very day-to-day, very surface level. And seventh house and in Libra is where we really seek deeper, more meaningful. And honestly, this is a big, big key word for this energy in this house, more long-term connection, okay? Even though, and I think this is why Libra struggles a little bit, Libra is a cardinal sign, and so it moves very initiative, right? It's very instigative, spark. Uh, That means that it can be very impatient. I don't see Libra actually impatient the same way that Aries is, for example. However, one trait they definitely share, because Libra's overall can be very, very laid back, um, very go with the flow because of that Venus rulership. The commonality, though, is a boredom. Libra, though, a relationship and connection seeker can become bored very, very easy in relationships, mostly because that cardinal energy needs, and especially because it's air cardinal energy. We need a lot of stimulation here. This is why I get really hot-headed about some of the stereotypes about Libra being these like dumb airheads. I look, no offense, but honestly, kind of a little bit of offense to you. If you think that and say that, because it's not even close to the truth, in my opinion at all. Libra is, first of all, represented by the justice card in tarot. And if you've never seen that, look it up right now and tell me that that isn't some seriously dignified diplomatic energy. Um, It's this house of harmony and balance. There's Venus rulership, which means that there is so much intuition and empathy, like real beautiful, like receptivity here. But it's also an air element, which means there's a lot of 
action taking and initiating. This is where it gets its balance from, by the way. It used to be called, you know, it balances its feminine and masculine energy. Now I would try and say it balances its action-based behaviors with its passive-based behaviors, okay? Um, And I think that some Libras, again, because they're seeking balance, that's the big... That's the big lesson in this, in this house and in this energy of this sign is harmony in this area of life. Okay. Balancing them, which means when you got a lot of energy focusing on your seventh house, typically this is you needing to focus on or being tested in very, uh, disaligned relationships, very unbalanced relationships and having to work through that disharmony and bring that into alignment. So it can be, there can be a lot of struggles and challenges here, but that does not mean that Libras are stupid. I'm sorry. I'm just so tired of seeing that (laughs) Libras are like dumb airheads or whatever. And like, um, Ditzes, you know what I mean? That's what it always is, ditzes. I think that Libras will self-sacrifice, like overly self-sacrifice for the sake of harmony. But I think that comes from a really pure place of seeking harmony and learning how to actually effectively create harmony. And that's just part of their learning journey. So I hope that that gives you a little bit of open perspective on that house. Cause I think that it usually gets kind of just labeled. It's the house of marriage and relationships. And there's no, in my opinion, there's like no depth to that. So I hope that that opens up some doors for you. Let's now venture in and what a venture it will be into the eighth house. This is the home of Scorpio. This house is ruled by Pluto which means this is a water house and the modality here is fixed. If Libra and the seventh is partnerships and unions, you may say, then the eighth house is the merging of unions. I want to say I heard that term in Astrology for Yourself, the book by Demetra George and Douglas Block. Um, I will link it. There we go. Had to write it down. I'll link it for you below. I'm pretty sure that's where I heard this. I've heard it in multiple places, but I'm pretty sure that was the first place. The merging of unions. And this is where we get intimacy. This is where we get sex. This is where we get death. This is where we get rebirth and transformation and power and also self-destruction. Because when those unions and partnerships get to the level of merging, some kind of death happens. Usually it's the death of the old version of that relationship. Here's a really good example. My husband and I have been friends since we were 13 and 14 years old. So we met in 2003 and we've been close friends ever since then. Like this isn't just a guy I went to school with. Like we've been close friends uh, since we were in seventh and eighth grade. And we had quite an established relationship, friendship, and dynamic for fucking years before we started dating because we didn't start dating till I was 22, I'm pretty sure. Um, Yeah. 
22. And so, okay, so almost 10 years of a relationship foundation when we made the choice to to really like elevate, if you will, that relationship, right? We were in some ways killing and our old relationship was dying. It doesn't mean that parts of it aren't always going to be there. Of course, we're always there. You know, I think that there's, we have so, so, so much deep, deep fear about death and loss um, that even transformation, which is something that we're all literally seeking, in my opinion, we constantly self-sabotage because death is scary and losing things are scary. But there was this death of our old friendship to make way for the new relationship and honestly new friendship that we now have. And honestly, since we've been together, we're celebrating our nine-year anniversary this year. Um, Our anniversary is November 18th, so next week. And (laughs) this is nine years for us being together. It's our sixth year being married. And believe you me, there have been a couple of more relationship deaths within that time. And we have rebirthed our relationship. And and even within that, we have died and rebirthed ourselves many, many times. We're always growing and shedding. And that's what Scorpio, Ape House, all of this is, okay? It's really doing this introspective work and exploring the vastness of ourselves, of the universe, of our world. Really a big, big lesson of Scorpio is removing emotional judgment and just experiencing the emotions for what they are. This is actually why a lot of Scorpios are very, very non-judgmental people because Scorpios have this inherent acceptance of both light and dark. They will judge a situation, you know, on a case-by-case basis. That's I always, always say the best person to commit or to confess your um, murder secret to is a Scorpio because a Scorpio will be like, okay, but first tell me why you murdered them and then I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> they won't judge you right off the bat. They'll want to hear the whole the whole story first and then make a judgment. That's, that's how Scorpio operates. So Scorpio is modernly ruled by Pluto, but I do want to mention that Scorpio is traditionally ruled by Mars. And the way I work with this personally as an astrologer is I say that this sign is co-ruled. Um, it is ruled both by... Um, Mars and Pluto, who in turn have their own parallel and relationship to one another. Mars is the lower octave of Pluto, but that is not for a couple of episodes in this series. So put a pin in that. Um, But do know that there is a co-rulership here. This means that even though Scorpio is a water sign, there is a pretty big influence of fire energy here. Okay. And this really will do well to help you understand the energy of this sign. Scorpio is still water and a big, big sign of emotion, but it operates honestly, very similarly, in my opinion, to a combination of like Aries and Capricorn. I have always thought that Scorpio is like a blend of those two signs. I don't know. I've just always have seen the the overlaps there. So this is the house 
where our power comes from and our occult knowledge, okay? This is the only sign and energy, Scorpio, that can regenerate itself. We talked about this on the Scorpio New Moon episode. And so because of this superpower, Scorpio usually tends to have a natural fear or avoidance of death, a.k.a. Because I bet a million Scorpios right now or Scorpio placements are like, nah, rock on, I love the darkness. It's change, okay? That kind of death, transformation. The death of the old, the welcoming of the new. There is a lot of avoidance here um, when it comes to some of the unevolved or like shadowy qualities of Scorpio. When Scorpio fully embraces its full spectrum of light and dark within itself, therefore it it embraces all versions of itself, past and present, it then therefore masters its power of regeneration, okay? This is why it's the house of shadow work. None of that cool, beautiful superpower is accessible without delving into our depths, okay? Honestly, if you want some more vibes um, and kind of explanation around this energy and you haven't listened to it already, go listen to that Scorpio New Moon episode with uh, Ashley of Starseed Shadows and myself. It is a really, really beautiful, raw, authentic example of Scorpio energy, I think. Now, once we master this regenerative quality and power, we then move into and venture. I love that word for this. We venture into the ninth house and the home of Sagittarius. In this house, we're ruled by Jupiter. This is a firehouse. And the modality here is mutable. We are flexible here. We're flowing here. We're adapting here. In Sagittarius specifically, we do see a lack of roots because there is this ever moving, and I would say more specifically, there's an ever seeking quality and energy to this sign, okay? This is why Sagittarians are so adventurous and in their own way impulsive. It's not the same kind of like impatient impulse, impulsiveness, the way that like Aries fire um, impatience might look like, It's or impulsiveness might look like. It's more of YOLO energy, like, um, you know, really carpe diem energy. So because of this, Sagittarius recognizes the value in in being able to, to move and follow wherever your intuition guides and calls you. I think that Sagittarius is one of its biggest, biggest lessons is it needs to learn how to master the art of creating stability for itself wherever it goes. Because otherwise, it's almost like a drug of this house, this constant seeking, constant movement. 
um, it becomes restlessness here, okay? That's the kind of mutable energy here. It can definitely get restless. However, some really beautiful, beautiful areas of life that we explore in this house, and boy, do we explore them, is higher learning, philosophy, psychology, sociology. This is really where we take what we've learned in the seventh and eighth houses and we just let ourselves run wild and and explore and experiment and seek. That's to me such a beautiful, beautiful representation of the rebirth that came from Scorpio is it gave this sense of newness and wonder to Sagittarius and the ninth house in general. This is the house to look to when you are, honestly, I think that a lot of us in our generation and um, hopefully coming in the younger generations as well, is this resurgence in curiosity and the excitedness and eagerness to learn new subjects. Especially, I do think one of the crazy kind of cool things that came out of fucking quarantine last year is it reignited so many people's curiosity. So many people just started researching and learning all kinds of things, all freaking kinds of things. This is very, very activated ninth house energy. So this in my chart, for example, I have an empty ninth house. And so I find that I can get lost in like a really beautiful way in this house and like let myself fall down like the learning and educational rabbit hole because my ninth house is in Aries. So I can be really just like spontaneous about it. And all of a sudden I'm like, yes, today I'm going to make today about learning all about, (laughs) this is so funny. Uh, I, I will go on random binges. The, one of the most recent and one of my most personal favorites in the last couple of um, couple of years is I became obsessed with learning how evolutionary wise and like psychologically how we as a human species went from being nomadic hunter gatherers, et cetera, et cetera, and like in the Paleolithic era, and then became civilized human beings, like like Homo sapiens. All of a sudden, you know, like like I mean, we were. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm not a scientist enough to be accurately using the terms that I'm trying to use right now, but I needed to know when did the civilization part happen? When did like population start growing? When did it turn from like individual families and small communities and colonies into these large giant civilizations and cities and stuff and see? So my Aries ninth house, like I can just, it's, it's empty. I can just access it and dive in there. But because it's an empty house, it also is an area that's not you know, pulling and drawing my attention to that area of life. And so I can inadvertently and accidentally sometimes totally and completely neglect my own studies. And this is where I have to do and remember, and this is a big reminder of ninth house and Sagittarius and quite frankly, Jupiter energy. It's not all fun, bright, light, truth-seeking all the time. There's darkness and there's shadow work. We still need to make sure that we are doing these these self-audits, okay? We don't want to forget the lessons that we learned in the eighth house, okay? 
and get into the ninth house and honestly waste a bunch of potential because we we wasted our lessons and everything we gained and learned in the eighth house, okay? So that is definitely something that I find Sagittarius, any fire sign, but mainly Leo and Sagittarius tend to kind of turn away from shadow work because fire is nice and bright. And, you know, it's not super fun going into the depths. It wants to just light up the dark. And sometimes it's not about that. Sometimes it's just about the darkness, you know, and and kind of facing those parts and and accepting all those parts about ourselves. And when we do, I think it does nothing but enhance our adventurous spirit. It enhances our creativity. It enhances all of these beautiful qualities that do come out of Sagittarius. So really stimulating this energy looks like kind of tapping into that YOLO vibe a little bit. Um, Giving yourself the permission to be adventurous. Maybe it's as safe as trying a totally random item on the menu that seems really, really adventurous. Maybe it's, you know, trying a whole different type of cuisine that you've never tried before. And it's that type of adventurous. Or maybe it is being super, super adventurous and planning your next trip. But honestly, I think that one of the best ways to activate our ninth house is is through like intellectual stimulation. I really, really do. I think that there's a big physical adventurous stimulant and aspect to this house. Um, But when you do find that you might feel confined by different physical restrictions or regulations that might be inhibiting some of our adventurous spirits and activities and adventures right now. How many times can I say adventures? <laughs> uh, there is a way to achieve and activate and satisfy and stimulate that energy within some of those confines. So this is where really challenging yourself to new ideas comes from. Start looking at things from other people's perspective. Maybe a subject that you are so crazy, firmly, passionately for or against. Try to do this, you know, try to take all of that, um, all of those lessons that we learned in the eighth house and emotional lessons that we learned in Scorpio. Bring that into Sagittarius and let Sagittarius's superpower of studying and being open-minded and seeking new ideas allow you to maybe start exploring where other people have been coming from, what other people have been experiencing. That's, that's, uh, that's my big gold nugget of advice for you that I'm going to leave you with today. I think that that's a really, a really good one too. Um, especially given the state of our crazy and magical, <laughs> but still crazy world. <laughs> Well, everybody, we're really making our way here. 
And I love it. I hope that you're liking these digestible little bite-sized episodes about the houses. We have now made it through the first quadrant of the top hemisphere, which means we have in total made it through three quarters of the astrological wheel. Next time on the next episode, we are going to finish up our little tour of the Zodiac here with houses 10 through 12. Um, So Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. And after that, we're really, really going to start talking about, okay, now that we're really getting big chunks and pieces of information, where are we going to start effectively and practically applying this so we can actually fucking use it. (laughs) Um, There are going to be, I will say, so I wanted to like hammer out these houses episodes so that we can just get the whole astrological wheel under our belt. But after that, I do want to let you know that throughout the applicable astrology mini series, I'm still going to be peppering in a couple of different episodes. I have a couple fundamentals of magic episodes coming up. Um, I'll have another guest episode coming up uh, later on uh, for the Sagittarius new moon eclipse. So uh, be on the lookout for all of these new, fun, spiritual, cosmic, witchy episodes. I'm just loving this so, so much. And I'm loving the feedback. Keep it coming my way. I love knowing that I'm putting out what you want to actually hear. And if you're having any breakthroughs, if you're having any questions, anything that's coming up for you, during these um, episodes, you know, while we're talking about the energy of these signs and houses and planets and things, let's talk about it. I am going to have some availability opening up in December very, very soon. I'll be announcing my December books opening up and I will probably be booking... Uh, probably three to four one-on-one sessions um, with anybody that would like to do some personal astrology development or some business astrology development. And then lastly, I am still taking a couple last applicants for my Think and Grow Witch Mentorship Program. I already have two absolutely amazing and incredible clients that I'm working with right now within the container. And it's just, (laughs) I cannot say enough how humbling this experience is. It's so beautiful watching these two transform right before my eyes with the gift of astrology and witchcraft and basic business development information. It's really, really amazing. So if this is something that you're interested in, if you are a passionate, witchy, cosmic entrepreneur, you are ready to take your business seriously. You are ready to claim the lifestyle that you want. Step out of that cookie cutter that we all got shoved into. No, it's not just you. <laughs> it, we all feel that way. Is it just me that I didn't want to, you know, follow the cookie cutter path? No, it's not just you. And if you're ready to claim that and have a mentor that is dedicated and committed to your journey and your success and growth, I would love to talk. You can submit your application today. Submitting your application doesn't commit you to anything. All it does is let me know that you are interested and serious about working together in the program, and we can set up a totally free, zero-obligation 
discovery call to answer your questions and see if the program would be a good fit for you. There's lots of payment options available. I'm very, very flexible because I just want to work with the right people. Okay. All right. Thank you all so much again for being here, for being here today, for being here every day. I love you so much. All of my neighbors. This is the best neighborhood around. Y'all know that already though, don't you? All right, everyone, until next time, I'll see you and you stay magical out there. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of That Witch Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, I would be really grateful if you would head over to iTunes right now and leave a super nice five-star review. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at thatwitch.nextdoor. I love connecting with all of you outside the show. Keep those questions, keep those comments coming. You can send fan art suggestions for topics on the show. You can nominate people to be interviewed on the show. Send anything like that to thatwitchnextdoor at gmail.com. And if you'd like to work together, I am offering a really amazing mentorship program. I'm only offering a very, very limited number of spots. You can submit your application and learn more on my website. And you can also book a one-on-one session with me at thatwitchnextdoor.com. Thank you so much again, and I'll see you all next week.